Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Podcast. I'm your host, Jill Manoff, and today I'm sitting down with Lori Coulter and Reshma Chatteram Chamberlain, co-founders of Somersault, which swept Instagram in 2017 with its figure-flattering swimsuits. It has since expanded to sleepwear, intimates, activewear, and even workwear, and is actively opening stores. I wanted to ask Lori and Reshma, who happen to be my St. Louis neighbors, about how they're growing their booming business from their Midwest headquarters. I also wanted to dig into their fundraising and influencer marketing strategies as they've proven exceptional on both fronts. Welcome to you, Lori. Thanks, Jill. It's really a pleasure. It's so great to have you. Hi, Reshma. Hi, Jill. We've been talking for 15 years. Can't wait to have this conversation. I know. It'll be, this is weird. I think you're my first uh, podcast guest that I knew prior, forever. (laughs) It's the only, oh my God. My intro, I was thinking as I said it, that I was listening to a podcast recently and they said that you shouldn't use the word flattering anymore. Do you guys use that word? You know what? I don't, I don't think we know. use the word flattering. We use the word, you know, women can be sexy on their own terms. So it's whatever it makes the woman feel, not kind of the outdated notion of what people think is flattering. I like that. That makes sense to me. Well, let's talk from the beginning. We have to touch on the founder story and how you two came together. Um, Reshma, I'll start you. I know you from yes. magazine days, <laughs> art directing. What was your experience after that, after working the magazine world in STL? Yeah, so I was living and working in New York. And as Jill knows, I moved to St. Louis and kind of didn't know what I was doing with my life and ended up at a job sitting right next to Jill. Um, We sat that way for two plus years in a very, very tiny room in a chaotic uh, time of life. Think 2008 economic crisis and then just a wild ride. Um, And then moved on to work at a digital agency and quickly realized that I wanted to create kind of strategy and branding for amazing brands. So focused on creating my own agency. And as a result of doing that for about seven-ish years, quickly realized that I wanted to eat, sleep, breathe a brand as Lori and I do at Somersault. And much to my amazement, excitement, um, serendipity, uh, Lori and I bumped into each other. And as they say, the rest is history. Lori does a better job of setting up kind of how we came together. So I'll let her do that. But it was truly serendipitous. Lori, I also know you. Uh, back in the day, you had a brand called in St. Louis called Lori Coulter Made to Measure Swimwear. I featured the brand in a live magazine. I was scanned. I had a swimsuit. Um, it was fit perfectly. I loved it. Talk about that and your road to another brand. So Rushma and I are both serial entrepreneurs. Um, I had started a business in partnership with Macy's in store, as Jill mentioned, doing digital body scanning and made to order swimwear and apparel. We accomplished a couple of things that are relevant still for Somersault to this day. As Jill mentioned, we scanned 10,000 women and made a swimsuit for each of them. They came back to the store and turned out to be the perfect um, test uh, and iterative feedback loop for perfecting our fit. We also mastered quick turnaround manufacturing. So think, you know, the perfect building blocks um, of various different silhouettes with a million possible combinations. We maintain the fit, the quality, sustainability, which is, has been important to Somersault since day one because we, in, we own the entire supply chain from that perspective. 
and then of course, speed and cost. And so in June of 2016, Rushman and I met for lunch. We met at Chipotle, not intended to be life-defining, but discussed the future of retail. I was considering my next steps, um, looking at, you know, at the e-commerce environment at, the, at the, that point in time, that was, was June of 2016. Rushma shared the amazing she was work she was doing on the brand side, inspired me to write the initial business plan and strategy for what is now Somersault, and I developed a collection, came back to her in December of 2016, tried to hire her agency. Jill, you may not know this, but Rushma declined my business. And um, we serendipitously ran into each other in late January of 2017 in New York. Um, and at that point in time, I had the deck, the line sheet with me. I literally cornered her and said, let's look at this. And on the spot, she said, I'm interested, but would you consider a co-founder? Oh my gosh. What was what was your thought process that you knew you wanted to do more? You knew you were getting out of the agency. What was the deal, Reshma? Well, for me is I wanted to live, eat, sleep a brand. As you see at an agency, you can only go so deep as budgets clients will allow you. And, you know, I always wanted to do something and I didn't know what it was. And when Lori laid out this most brilliant strategy, she literally, when we say cornered, it's like not an exaggeration. She was like, here's the deck, here's the line sheet. And it was the Rose Bar at the Gramercy Park Hotel, which is now, you know, no longer, um, But we literally huddled in a corner where someone had broken a glass. We were on these two little stools and she literally flipped through the deck. She flipped through the line sheet. And there are moments in your career and life where you feel a big light bulb go off. For me, this was a light bulb moment. Lori explained to me so brilliantly kind of the white space in the swimwear market, what was happening. A major brand had just removed themselves from the category completely. You had highly commoditized swimwear on one end, and then of course the true luxury swimwear on the other. No one really owning that true direct-to-consumer experience at an affordable price. And given Lori's previous background, we were able to execute on fit, function, style, and amazing, amazing metrics. And so for me, it was one of those big light bulb moments that you don't get these opportunities in life often where something you so passionately want to do aligns with what a customer actually needs. That's when the magic really happens. And then you have two founders who have backgrounds to be able to execute it. So Lori was so brilliant on the business strategy side, on the production side, on the design side. And I knew I had the background in the digital marketing side and the brand side. And I truly felt like, oh my gosh, we could truly be a power team. So in a bold move, I said, Lori, what do you think about a co-founder? And if you, you know, we've gotten to know each other really, really well over the past seven years. And we are both not impulsive. We're both very strategic. We're very thoughtful. And the fact that we both said yes, essentially, we said, of course, we'll talk about it, but we essentially said yes. We left the Gramercy Park Hotel, I think both of us thinking, did we just do that? And (laughs) um, as they say, the rest is history. Oh my gosh, I love it. I mean, make bold moves. Like that's so inspiring. First of all, to even ask the co-founder and Lori to just say, I'm putting together this business plan. Like you were determined it's amazing. First of all, the the brand that pulled out of the market, Victoria's Secret, and 
Lori, I have to ask you that business plan, like was the original intention to, we're going to conquer swimwear and then we're going to go from there. So the, the intent from day one was to own swimwear as the anchor in her wardrobe and then to start building out categories from there. So that's a, a really a, tra- a traditional venture capital type of approach, own a narrow part of the market and then start start building additional categories, own more and more. So we wanted to own her entire wardrobe from day one. And uh, we were really good at understanding that evolution. We we were intent on launching apparel in 2019. We didn't want to wait too long because we felt like if we did, uh, the consumer would only ever see us as a swimwear brand. And it was important to be a true lifestyle brand. Let's talk about getting off the ground. Did fundraising come in pre-launch? Like, when did this all happen? So from a fundraising perspective, it's very interesting. I think it's it's a miracle that Somersault is here today. Uh, we were able to raise around $600,000 from what we would refer to as professional angel investors in the St. Louis market. Um, there are a handful that really made it possible for us to get off the ground, but it was not an easy process. Russia and I did pitch after pitch where we just got kind of blank stares. Um, and as two women founders in the Midwest selling swimwear to women, it's a category that a lot of male investors are not familiar with. It was, it was a tough road. Uh, it was obvious when we launched day one that Somersault was, you know, had, had really hit on something from a societal perspective, both from a brand messaging perspective, but also from a product perspective. We, we timed it just right. And we came back and did a venture round then in, in 2018. That makes sense. Well, Reshma, you've got the amazing digital marketing experience. Was the original plan to spread the word, leverage some of those I don't know, meta, not a, was it meta then? <laughs> Opportunities across uh, Instagram. You blew up on Instagram. Was it more about advertising, influencers, all the things? Well, as Lori shared, we hadn't raised a lot of money. So it wasn't really about spending the dollars to get customers. It was really about showcasing the amazing product through all the channels that we had available to us. And so uh, the press played an amazing role in our launch. Um, You know, every editor loved what we had to share and what we were doing and the product. We were featured everywhere we could possibly imagine. We also did a really grassroots influencer strategy. The influencer market was quite different in 2017 than it is today. And so we just emailed all the most amazing women we admired and who we followed. And we said, hey, you know what? We're starting this brand. We'd love to send you a swimsuit and tell us what you think. And that's really how it started. We sent swimsuits to so many women. We'd email, you know, hundreds of influencers and some would reply and some would not. And it was just this amazing organic explosion. And of course, we did have advertising on the Facebook and Instagram side as well, but it was truly a triangulated effort. And that's really how we think about marketing now. It's not one pillar holding uh, the entire structure up. It's really about a cohesive swell, if you will, of all the combinations of marketing, but with the product being at the center, our product has to be exceptional. We have to service our customer. We have to understand what she wants and what she needs. And if we continue to do that well, then the rest kind of comes together pretty well. You focused on influencers with body diversity. Uh, I'm sure you saw the power of press and you've kept PR. Like, What did that teach you in terms of what's effective? I think what it taught us about what's effective is authenticity. 
I mean, I think we go back to that day in and day out. You can have press, you can have Instagram, you can have Facebook, you can pay influencers. But if your product isn't good and you're not kind of addressing a need for the customer, it doesn't feel true to who they are. And that's, you know, the customer can really tell. And so we've continued to stay pretty true to who we are and understanding what the customer needs. And I think that's what's really effective is to own your story and tell it well. We've been unapologetic about being woman first. We've really made sure that it's about our customer, whether she's the cool girl in Brooklyn or the cool girls in Missouri or um, or the mom in Oklahoma or Wisconsin. It's really about the shared consumer experience that swimwear shopping used to be pretty crappy till somersault, of course. Yes. Let's talk about the... Lori, are you still like leveraging the same manufacturer and how you're doing this sustainably? So we are using still one of our earliest manufacturers, which is really exciting. So, but as we've grown, of course, we've added additional capacity really across the world. From a sustainability perspective, it's always about maintaining that uh, certification as it relates to the recycled materials. We're very careful in documenting the entire kind of chain of custody. Although we're not perfect, I want to be clear, no brand is perfect. We are doing absolutely our best to make intentional decisions along the way on everything from, you know, the fabrications that go into the garments to the packaging to making sure that we're limiting that carbon footprint whenever we can. When you launched 2017, you expanded beyond swimwear. Is first of all, is swimwear still it's the majority of the business, would you say? By a by a large percentage? Yeah, yeah. So it I don't know if it's by a large percentage, but it's definitely the majority. And what we find is that swimwear is a great way to kind of build loyalty from an from a consumer acquisition perspective. She comes in uh, buying the swimsuit typically, and then we're able to sell other categories as she needs them on a, on an ongoing basis. It's not unlike what brands of the past did, where they sent you know millions, hundreds of millions of catalogs, particularly swimwear catalogs, right, and then. Uh, utilize those catalogs to acquire customers and, and maintain that engagement with the customer on an, on an ongoing basis. For sure. I literally, I need to catch up because I knew you had expanded widely, but I'm on your site and I'm like, there's a suit, like a business suit or a, an evening occasion wear. Like it just looked velvet and beautiful. Anyway, is that newer? It is new. We just dropped our velvet collection and almost sold out already in quite a few of the styles. And it's been two and a half weeks, three weeks. Um, It's absolutely wonderful. And it's made out of recycled materials. So I highly, highly recommend. So and I have to brag on our team, I'm not aware of another sustainable uh, velvet in the market. So there may be one in the US market. But as far as we know, Somersault has the only sustainable velvet. Outstanding. So I don't know that you may, you probably have, um, we're work from home days. We're all working on Zoom, but talk about like finding talent in St. Louis. And um, I guess any challenges there, be be honest. <laughs> so so from, a, from a talent perspective, we get that question a lot. And what we find is that many of the flagship brands of the last, let's call it 35 years, think you know, major brands that have launched around the country, a lot of times they're not coming from the coastal 
regions, um, the big cities. And I, I, we believe it's because that, as Rashma touched on, it's authenticity. It's about being unapologetic about being who you are as a brand and a person and, and coming from a real point of view. And so one of the things that being in St. Louis has allowed us to do is just stick to our values unapologetically. We still learn from the best practices of the coast, but we're able to really put forth a perspective in the world that is universal and is relevant for consumers everywhere. From a talent perspective, there's a ton of, you know, as you know, upper higher education in, in the region. And so from an engineering marketing perspective, the talent pool that we're seeing from universities like Wash, Wash U, St. Louis University, Webster, Umsel, and others has really allowed us to continue to get that that fantastic talent. The other thing that COVID did was really a huge influx of people move back, quote, home. And so um, really, we've benefited from that perspective as well. We're going to take a quick break. Stay with us. I like that you mentioned Webster. Thank you. <laughs> Everybody's like, are you, did you go to Wash U? No. <laughs> um, what was I going to say? Tell me about Q4 holiday. I know you launched pajamas, which was, they, they seem to be hot sellers, but I don't know. But then you also have your hot summer season. Like how are your sales distributed throughout the year? So this is such a funny question. So when Nori and I were, not that you're asking it, Jill, but that we get it so often. Uh, you know, when Lori and I were uh, fundraising, everyone was like, oh, so you're a seasonal business? And kind of with this kind of scowl on their face. And then majority of retailers do most of their business in the last six weeks of the year. So compared to most retailers who are exceptionally seasonal, we are not a very seasonal business. We are really a business that's very much year-round especially as we've expanded into other categories. We have an exceptional cashmere business. I'm wearing one of our sweaters right now. So uh, pajama business, as well as loungewear and other categories. And we can't forget all the wonderful women who want to escape the frigid temperatures and leave and travel. So it's really wonderful to see how, um, you know, the sales just continue to build and of course peak in the summer. I tell you what, I've got some, when you're pointing to your blouse, I was like, oh my God, I've got a, a white and I guess it's ah, tan. I don't know, but it's a striped oversized button down shirt, bit like a collared shirt. I, pr I probably wear it once a week. <laughs> like it's just something like it looks nice on zoom and it's comfortable. You know, it's, Anyway, I love, I love the that. perfect boyfriend shirt. I also yes. wear it at least once a, once a week. Well, I was telling Lori, I went to get myself a quick lunch yesterday and I saw someone in a somersault sweater and I was like, do I say something? Do I not say something? You know, it's kind of awkward to interrupt someone's, you know, um, wonderful lunch. But now more often than not, it's amazing. We can be at lunch or driving by or in an airport or um, at a beach or a pool. And, you know, we see somersault and it's just a pinch me feeling truly. Yes. Well, when I talk about moving, I mean, I'm getting so personal, but like moving here and people are like, what's the scene like? Are there any brands there? Like, what's Emma? And I'm like, have you heard of somersault? And everybody's like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, of course. Like anyway, I, you guys are doing it up. Tell me about stores. Do you have a store here? First of all, where are you opening stores? So we do not have a store 
in St. Louis at the moment, although we are working on a partnership. So stay tuned there, uh, Jill, maybe in the future. Uh, we've recently opened store locations in both Nashville and West Palm Beach. And then we also have a location in South Carolina. So really exciting. We're learning a ton. It's obvious that the consumer loves to experience the brand in person. And we do believe that physical retail is part of the story moving forward. These locations are where your customer is now, or these are where people are wearing swimsuits. <laughs> so, combination. so it's a it's a, a test market really of both of those concepts. So obviously Nashville is is a, a huge destination for our consumer right now. Although she's not necessarily wearing a swimsuit while she's in Nashville, it's really a shopping destination, and we're having huge success there in both swimwear and apparel. They the South Carolina and the West Palm Beach location are really more beach oriented. So from a product perspective, we have more representation of swim in those markets. And I think it's just specific to the location, but exciting to see progress across the board and the consumer responding accordingly. As you guys have expanded, is more fundraising to come? Is that a target? So from a fundraising perspective, you know, Somersault's considered later stage growth. We're certainly having conversations along the way. We're fortunate to be in a position where we don't necessarily have to raise but as we see pockets of opportunity to really accelerate the brand, we're, we're open to those conversations. Oh, my God. How fun opening stores. What can you tell me about the in-store experience? Well, these are our test stores. So what we really tried to do was make sure that we combined both an economical approach to bringing these stores to life while creating an exceptional experience for our customers. So one of the anecdotes I love to share is that oftentimes moms are squarely in our demographic and they, if they're shopping with their families, get pushed and pulled in multiple directions and kids are whining, husbands don't want to hang out, you know, all of those things. So we really thought of all those dynamics when designing our stores. So the perfect example in our Myrtle Beach store, we have a couch setting because we wanted people to have a place to sit while moms, friends, cousins shopped and they couldn't be bothered so they could buy and uh, enjoy a lot of somersault. And so one of the best stories is we have a beautiful picture of about seven kids sitting on these two love seats in our store and we have jars of suckers for the children in every store. So every single one of those kids has a sucker in their mouth on the couch with we have tic-tac-toe in the stores and other things like that to let the moms shop at their leisure. Of course, the other things we, of course, consider is how you go into the dressing room, what that means. We encourage our sales associates to always offer sizing in and around the size our customer has chosen. So that way she has optionality when she's in the dressing room and already undressed. She can try a size down. She can try a size up. We consider dressing room lighting. We really think about a shopping experience that really changes the way you think about buying swimwear. It's full of joy. And our stores are just, the product is the focus. The product is so colorful and it's arranged in kind of a rainbow colorful scheme. So you'll see all the pink together, all the red together, all the blue together. And it just is a vibrant, happy experience. I love that. I mean, first of all, the lollipops in themselves, like... <laughs> My my nieces and nephew just want to go to the bank so that because the teller gives a lollipop. <laughs> anyway, uh, Lori, you you were like a hit at a recent e-commerce forum because you went into kind of some detail about your tech stack, and everybody was like, "Wait, 
how do you do this? What's going on? Anyway, your e-commerce, your <laughs> your functionality is next level. Like, what can you share here? Has is this constantly evolving? So I, I think yes. First of all, it's definitely constantly uh, co- constantly evolving. But uh, Somersault's tech stack ha- has been best in class really since day one. But even more importantly, we are capturing the data that's important to optimizing across all functional areas of the business. So, so think, you know, probably about 70 different applications where we um, operate the business on a day-to-day basis, but anything from the website itself to digital advertising to the fulfillment customer support side of the business and all things in between, all of that data comes back into our operational data warehouse. We're able to optimize at every point along both the customer journey, but also from an efficiency perspective internally to make sure that we're putting forth the best experience for the consumer on a, on a you know daily basis. Really exciting. We continue to expand our data capabilities and really are cutting edge from that perspective. Many people know us for the brand, but we do excel from a data perspective and have since day one. What would you say the new standards in terms of the shopping experience, whether online or in-store or take it where you want it? Because I know you have this amazing, I think you call it the customer happiness team. You have amazing customer service happening. Would love to touch on that. But yeah, what else is the customer demanding now or what are you doing to treat them and make them come back? I think demanding and table stakes should be looked at in a similar fashion. I think that we are in an increasingly digital world where all of us move in and out of that world so easily. It's not kind of now like learned behavior, it's innate behavior. So I think speed is table stakes. So we're always focused on making shopping as easy as possible for her. that means speed, that means the right quality of images, that means great back shots, front shots, zoom shots, uh, that means making sure the color is accurate. It's those simple, tiny things that seemingly are tiny but are not that add up to create a very fulfilling and easy-to-use shopping experience. So that's really what we're focused on. And then when we think about kind of making it even more pleasurable and enjoyable shopping experience, it's a surprise and delight along the way once those table stakes are buttoned up. So our customer happiness team is a surprise and delight element. We have amazing, um, you know, we can share fit recommendations. We share personalized styling. There's a lot of things that we do from our customer happiness team that just makes it that much happier once those table stakes are, you know, completely buttoned up. Right on. And what are you, what's worth investing in now, would you say? Like beyond stores, that's a big one. Um, and Marketing channels, marketing, maybe just talent, but like, where are you putting, where are you investing? Well, the biggest thing for us is collaborations are amazing. Our customer absolutely loves our collaborations and our collaborators get to leverage our reach and our brand to be able to share more of their story while being totally mutually beneficial. So when we think about kind of all the amazing growth levers Somersault has, we have a laundry list, you know, stores, amazing partnerships. Uh, There's so much coming around the horizon global, but truly thinking about collaborations in an exceptional way is something we're really excited about. You know, you have a wonderful and wide audience. And so if anyone listening today has someone they can think about that says, you know what, I wish Somersault would collaborate with X and Y and Z. We'd love to hear about it. We love collaborating with brands that have kind of a 
core demographic who really, really loves their brand. We've enjoyed collaborating with Rifle Paper Company. We've enjoyed collaborating with DVF. We've enjoyed... I was going to say DVF. That's iconic. Sorry, go ahead. (laughs) So, so iconic. Um, We've enjoyed collaborating with other smaller designers like Carly Kushney, who we love. Um, There's just been such a variety and we love to kind of elevate as well as kind of create new incredible experiences for our customers. So we are excited to double down on some fun collaborations in 2024 and 2025. Ooh, things to come. Would you say anything's challenging you right now? Obviously the economy ain't great. Are you, are you watching that closely? Is that impacting behavior or what else? Maybe other. You know, I think overall the macro environment is just a bit unstable. So, but we know the consumers is stressed from a financial perspective where we are quite universal in our appeal. So we have some consumers who may not be impacted, but we have others that are really um, seeing challenges. And so we are doing our best to make sure we're putting the best product we can out there for the best possible value. That's been a, a point of really focus for us since day one. And anything we can do to make her life a little bit happier, more joyful, we're taking it very seriously. I do uh, think just the the macro environment from a financial investor perspective is quite challenging. And so consumer investors are also stressed at the moment. And just keeping that in mind, making sure that we are, um, you know, able to function without potential investment, knowing that investors may be uh, squeezed for the next 18 months or so is super important. And I would advise really all brands to make sure that they're in that, that type of position. 2024 collaborations, maybe more stores, more stores. What else can we expect? Well, we have some huge collaborations coming in 2024. We can't say who, but uh, they're very, very large. Uh, We're very excited about that. We have a new category launching in 2024 that we can share more about as well. That's really, really exciting. And then, of course, as we continue to work on stores and bigger partnerships, um, Everything is a little bit under NDA at the moment, but hopefully people will follow along our journey and we're not shy about screaming it from the rooftops when we can. So people will most definitely hear about the exciting things. Watch this space. Is there anywhere that you guys don't want to go? Like as you're expanding lifestyle brand territory, like I feel like female founded probably don't want to go into menswear, but are you doing menswear? Well, Jill, I'm glad you asked. We get, especially you can imagine when pitching male investors, we're asked regularly, when are you doing men's? And the the truth is it's not on the near term focus. We do some family pajamas, some family matching swimsuits. We don't forget the men in that uh, development process. However, likely will be five to 10 years out before we're ever really thinking seriously about a broad, broad men's collection. That makes sense. What's working on on social now? Well, I think social is really interesting. I think it's about finding how social fits into your marketing funnel. So I think pre kind of when iOS made a lot of the privacy changes, everyone was relying on social as the only piece of the funnel, or in some cases, um, a very, very large piece of their funnel. At Somersault, we've always been about kind of a true 360 approach, which is a combination of multi-touch, multi-channel. And so for us, it's just about refining how each kind of channel fits into the larger um, 
pie, if you will, and creates the, the right equation to be able to acquire customers profitably and then continue to acquire good customers. And so for us, what's working is truly thinking about that matrix and how it all bubbles up together. I mean, you guys are so complimentary. I don't even have to address the question. You guys just know who's going to pick it up. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Last question for real. Um, it is uh, late afternoon on a Friday. Like, what do founders do when they're like, do you, I, do you even feel a Friday when you're a founder? Because you're probably working tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. Anyway, what's your, what's the vibe? <laughs> so the vibe, I'm going to share the vibe. Usually it is a funny gif or a funny statement that Lori and I share with each other at around three, after 3 p.m. on Friday about Friday and that we're here uh, because our weeks are quite wild. You know, sometimes I look at my calendar and I go from, you know, negotiating and addressing contracts to Lori and I chatting about big strategic initiatives or investor meetings or uh, we're, you know, working on hiring or we're working on a large collaboration. It's kind of, um, you know, mental volleyball, if you will, from one, co- one topic to the next. And another way I kind of... A- in described how a founder is. And Lori, I don't think I even said this to you, but we're kind of like shock absorbers, right? We take in every input from every angle and we work to make sure that our team is protected and secure and feels happy and our customer feels looked after and feels happy and we deliver an exceptional product to her. So all those hiccups that no one ever sees are kind of um, shock absorbed by the founders, whether that's a flight path that's delayed and product isn't arriving or COVID is breaking out or um, banks are collapsing, you know, all of those things that seem to have happened in the last, you know, three years, we absorb that. And then we are the funnels to make sure that our customers and our employees and team feel the steadiness that we can provide. So when Friday hits, uh, it's nice to kind of let that guard down a little bit and um, uh, toast to the week and tackling all the crazy stuff. Do those um, gifts or whatever they're called that say like slams lap shot, laptop shut till Monday. And I'm like, oh, that's so unfair. <laughs> no, no slamming the laptop shut. So one of the things about being a founder is that it truly is a 24-7 job. I do think we have the, the freedom to prioritize whatever is most important at any given moment. And sometimes that may be your family. Sometimes that may be getting rest. But it doesn't ever mean slamming your laptop shut, unfortunately. But we do try to celebrate the victories on a weekly basis because the big victories really do add up to the big, the, the small victories really do add up to the big victories. Uh, and sometimes founders are not good at, at taking a moment to see how much you've really accomplished. And we try to try to do that whenever we can. As you should. Well, ah, congrats. I'm celebrating all your victories right now. Woohoo! <laughs> I'm such a fan. You guys, thank you for being here. This was so fun. We're Jill. big fans, Jill. Yeah, Jill, the best <laughs> interviewer ever. So grateful for you. That's all for this episode. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. If you liked this episode, be sure to share it with someone else you think would. Thanks for listening to the Glossy Podcast.